This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Thursday, November 10th of 2022. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Thank you for joining us here on listener-supported community radio. Coming up on today's program, delays in asylum case processing are causing bottlenecks at the U.S.-Mexico border, putting pressure on local shelter capacity. We'll hear how Denver-area groups have built support networks to take some of that pressure off border nonprofits. Then, Radio Nibbles makes a one-week return from sabbatical to share a few words about Moxie Bakery co-founder Andy Clark, who died earlier this week. A BBC News update is at the bottom of the hour. Then it's Black Talk with Michelle Simpson. Today's topic is Black Mental Health, and the show includes an interview with rapper-turned-advocate Master P, who recently lost his daughter to fentanyl intoxication. At 9.30, Joanne Cole will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still ahead this morning. But first, the headlines with KGNU's Claire Purnell. As of this morning, less than 100 votes separate Democrat candidate Adam Frisch and Republican incumbent Lauren Bobart in the race to represent Colorado's third congressional district. County clerk's offices will continue to tally ballots today and process ballots from military and overseas voters. Those absentee mail-in ballots may continue to trickle in this week. Voters have eight days after Election Day to cure rejected ballots. If the slim margin holds, a difference of one half of a percentage point or less difference will trigger an automatic recount. Colorado's new 8th Congressional District elected its first Latina to represent Colorado in Congress. KGNU's Stacey Johnson reports. Democratic State Representative Yadair Caraveo beat Republican State Senator Barbara Kirkmeyer in a tight race. Caraveo, a pediatrician, will be the first representative in Washington from Colorado's new 8th Congressional District, which is 39 percent Latino and stretches from northeast Denver suburbs into Greeley. After Kirkmeyer conceded Wednesday night, Caraveo released a statement telling supporters the story of District 8, in many ways, the story of her family. Quote, my parents immigrated here to afford us a better life, and because of their hard work, I could go to college, become a doctor, and live my version of the American dream. For KGNU, I'm Stacey Johnson. Election officials continue to tally votes across the state. Three measures, 122 decriminalizing psilocybin, measure 123 on affordable housing, and 125 allowing wine and grocery stores, as of this morning, are still too close to call. The Denver Post reports 122 campaigners have already declared victory. If the votes add up, Colorado will be the second state in the nation to decriminalize medicinal mushrooms. In local election news, the bolder measure to create a library district is now leading by a thin margin. Initial tallies on election night showed ballot question 6C was trailing by a narrow margin. This has changed since additional ballots were counted. The measure now leads by a margin of around 600 votes. The latest unofficial election results from the Denver Clerk and Recorder's Office show voters approved all but one local ballot measure. The rejected initiative would have created a landlord fee to fund legal representation to tenants facing eviction. Favored measures include recycling and composting for multifamily and non-residential properties, as well as a new tax to regulate and improve sidewalks. For city council-referred questions, Denver voters are leaning yes to an increased mill levy to fund the Denver public library system, to the city keeping excess funds 
raised for climate protection and homelessness and to charter changes aiming to improve the city's election procedures. The Denver Election Division will release new results at 1.30 p.m. and 5 p.m. today. A ballot initiative to change Aurora's city charter allowing convicted felons to run for office appears to have failed. Colorado's constitution protects the rights of citizens who have completed their criminal sentencing to run for office, with exceptions to certain crimes. Aurora has charter restrictions that bar anyone with prior felony convictions from running for office. They lifted its bar last year after the American Civil Liberties Union sued the city and a judge ruled it unconstitutional. The ballot measure would have ensured the city's laws align with those of the state. Douglas County residents rejected two ballot measures aimed at funding the school district. The two failed measures had unanimous support from the school board. Ballot measure 5A would increase teacher salary by 9% in an area that pays teachers significantly less than neighboring school districts. Measure 5B would increase the district's debt by $450 million. Teachers and staff are disappointed, but expect these measures to come up again in the future. Cannabis business owner Wanda James has become the first black woman elected to the CU Board of Regents in over 40 years. James is an alum of CU Boulder and the first in her family to receive a college degree. She previously served on CU's Alumni Board of Directors and on the Colorado Tourism Board of Directors. Abolitionists and community organizers Elizabeth Epps and Javier Mabry have secured their legislative seats in the Colorado General Assembly. They were both favored to win in the general election after winning their respective Democratic primaries. Their victories build upon a trend of Denver Metro residents shifting toward electing openly progressive people of color to represent them in the state legislature. Earlier this year, Epps won a class action lawsuit against the Denver Police Department for its use of excessive force against protesters during the summer of 2020. The two police officers involved in the railroad collision leaving a detained woman seriously injured face criminal charges. KGNU's Jimmy Searfoss has more. On September 16th, a Union Pacific train crashed into a Platteville Police Department patrol vehicle where Urania Rios Gonzalez was detained. According to a news release from the 19th Judicial District Attorney's Office, Fort Lupton Police Officer John Steinke and Platteville Police Department Sergeant Pablo Vasquez are facing several charges. Steinke is on administrative leave, but there's no information about Vasquez's duty status. Rios Gonzalez's attorney, Paul Winkleson, told the Denver Post in September that his client saw the train coming and even heard its horn. She tried to get the police officer's attention by screaming and also tried to unlock the police SUV's door. For KGNU, this has been Jimmy Searfoss. For weather today, it looks like Boulder will be mostly sunny with a high of 45 degrees and a low of 19 degrees. In Denver, sunny with a slight chance of snow and a high of 48, low of 21. In Fort Collins, mostly sunny with a high of 46 and a low of 16. The National Weather Service expects a few snow showers will be possible this evening into tonight for the foothills in Palmer Divide. Cool temperatures are expected across the plains, with highs in the 40s and lows in the 10s. For KGNU, I'm Claire Purnell. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Immigration restrictions first implemented during the administration of Donald Trump and continued under the presidency of Joe Biden have created a backlog in asylum cases at the U.S.-Mexico border. 
One of those bottleneck points is in El Paso, Texas, on the U.S. side of the border's largest binational metropolitan area. While some governors have grabbed media attention by transferring asylum seekers to other states through coercion or deception, there's also the need to find transitional hosting space in other states while asylum seekers voluntarily plan their next steps. This past weekend, a coalition of local organizations welcomed a busload of asylum seekers to the Denver metro area, specifically to Denver Community Church. I'm joined now by Dave Newhousel, pastor of mobilization at Denver Community Church and director of Project Renew. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to be with you. Tell us about this current effort. What are the logistics and the planning that went into it? Yeah. Well, um, we had done this three years ago with very little notice. Uh, that was back in 2019. Uh, it got grabbed a lot of media attention at that time because that was during a time of child separations from families, and it was all caught up in the the media and the, the political uh, discussions of the day. Um, and I think right now, more quietly, this has been happening in an ongoing way for years in some ways, decades. And so um, it came to our attention from some partners at the border that this reality, they were just overwhelmed and, and the shelter systems throughout New Mexico and the El Paso area. So, um, yeah, we, we we got a call back, I think it was around Labor Day, uh, from one of our partners and asked if we would consider receiving a bus again. And so we began preparation, which was, um, in this case, some new policies had come into place for the city of Denver because of uh, COVID around shelter systems and things like that. And so... Um, we were identify an offsite space that we owned that we could turn into a shelter, basically. So it was a lot of hustle just to prepare this space to be, you know, up to code. So life safety measures and things like that were were in place so that we could host around 50 people. Now, this is a coordinated arrival, not an unannounced arrival. Explain why it's important to differentiate between the two. Yeah, um, in the last few months. Uh, there's obviously been a lot of media attention around these uncoordinated arrivals you mentioned in your introduction that have gone to big cities like New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C. And so certainly because Denver's a sanctuary city, it would be a natural target being even closer to the border uh, for some of these coercive and exploitive um, tactics around politics to send buses unannounced. Um, and so there was fear of that. But in this case, uh, as I mentioned, this has been an ongoing issue that hasn't garnered a lot of media attention. And so, you know, every day in the area, like just for instance, outside El Paso, hundreds, sometimes a thousand plus uh, families, individuals are released from processing people who have presented themselves from asylum at the border. And this is really a rural area. You're not talking about, you're not talking about a huge metropolitan area with lots of services. Um, and there are really, it relies on small churches and nonprofits that have over decades set up a shelter system to try to meet the needs of these people in a temporary way to help them to get onto sponsors and hosts throughout the country. Um, but they become overwhelmed with those kind of numbers I just mentioned. And so there's a huge bottleneck in those areas. And so one of the most natural thing is to identify a metro area like Denver that's, you know, even though it's a 10 hour bus ride uh, to get there, um, we have a lot more capacity because they're just overwhelmed there. And so it's an act of compassion and a small act of compassion to host a bus of, of 50 people. And in this case, they were all families. We're talking about babies and toddlers. And these folks have come from places like Peru, Cuba, um, Nicaragua, Venezuela, 
and have made their way thousands of miles um, fleeing violence and extreme poverty to present themselves from asylum. And so a lot of them have hosts and contacts here in the U.S. And we're simply providing hospitality for a few days as they move on to those hosts and contacts. So we're really providing logistics. We're, we're providing basic needs like you know, a warm meal, a cot to sleep on, a warm, safe environment where they can be uh, protected and at ease for a few days. Now, in the case of those who arrived over this past weekend, you mentioned they, they're all from Spanish-speaking countries, they're all families, and mm-hmm. that what you're doing is providing a, a form of transitional hosting. Are they yeah. planning on permanently staying in this area, or is it just a place to stay, a safe place to yeah. stay while they may end up in other states? Yeah, it's a good, good question. I'd say at roughly two-thirds of those people, about... 40. We received 56 total and about 40 were able to move on within the first 48 to 72 hours. Uh, you know, that, that means these sponsors and hosts from throughout the country, places like California, New Jersey, South Carolina, Florida, these hosts were, were literally paying for bus tickets and mostly plane tickets for them to fly out of Denver and be reunited with family and connections there. But about a third, right now we have about 15 folks who are, um, planning to make a life in the Denver area. They didn't have a solid enough connection for us to feel, you know, we like we ethically could say, yes, go to go to New York where you maybe heard of someone who could help you. We're trying to help them take the first steps to start a life here in Denver for those people. And those are the harder cases because we're helping them just, you know, identify housing and really just take some first steps. And so one of the organizations we're working with is called Colorado Hosting Asylum Network. And they've come to specialize in, with this midterm help in these first steps. And so they're raising money for, you know, rent assistance for the first few months. We're not talking about paying for everything for these people. We're help talking about coming alongside them and giving them a hand up just for those first few steps as they begin to make a life in Denver. So yeah, for some of them, they will try to. And obviously clarity on that is important because the complexity of their immigration cases will determine their ability to stay here over a long time. And for each country and each situation is unique, especially in, in, the, in, in the case of asylum, there's a very specific criteria they're going to have to meet uh, to be granted asylum uh, in the U.S. And so it's hard to answer for each one of these families. They all bring a unique situation to the table. But yeah, we're, we're just helping them, at least for the next few months, make, make, take those first steps towards making a life here. What are some immediate, simple ways that somebody listening could plug in? Yeah, you know, I think right now, you know, I could share, I could share some links for some volunteer signups that could be great. Um, and then uh, where, where people can provide a meal or even show up and just in small, simple ways, clean a bathroom, you know, and, uh, and help provide a meal, uh, play with some kids. But beyond that, right now, our biggest need, because we just have a few families left, is this short-term assist- assistance for um, short-term housing to help people Again, with rent assistance, it's amazing, rent assistance, excuse me, it's amazing what a couple thousand dollars can do for helping a family that literally has nothing to take their first steps towards finding stability here. Um, You know, and I want to point out that, um, you know, again, we're just helping these folks, but I don't want to downplay that when I say they have nothing, what they do have is the incredible resources that got them here. It's hard for us to get our minds around what it means for a family with toddlers and infants and a nine-year-old boy and girl to travel thousands of miles, literally thousands of miles to come to the border. And so they have incredible resources. They have their courage, their resiliency, and they have all the resources that got them here. 
which is just incredible. Um, but we're just helping them take those first steps because this is a, this is a strange place for them, right? And a, and a foreign place for them. So yeah, we have huge need for um, for help that financial donations to help them take those first steps. And they could do that by going to projectrenew.org. Um, that's our organization. That's our justice and peacemaking initiative of Denver Community Church. And by making a donation there on the homepage, it'll take you to a link to our Asylum Seeker Support Fund. 100% of those donations will go toward families and helping them take those first steps here locally. My guest today has been Dave Newhousel, pastor at Denver Community Church and director of Project Renew. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, so glad to be with you. Thank you. Giving back and supporting nonprofit organizations is one of the most rewarding things a person can do. This year, be sure to include KGNU in your donations for Colorado Gives Day, December 6th. Feel good about supporting in-depth news, eclectic music programming, and radio training programs for youth and adults. Make your donation to KGNU at coloradogives.org. Good morning, and it's time for Radio Nibbles. I'm not even sure how to start this, given that John Lindorf is not in the studio with me. He is over the phone. Some of you may have noticed that we have had to skip over Radio Nibbles in recent weeks. We've tried to keep it in the food zone, though. But we do have John Lindorf on the phone with us now. Good morning, John. Good morning, Shannon, and uh, good morning, everybody. Well, John, give us an update about you briefly. How's how's the food in uh, where you are? Well, just to fill people in, uh, uh, late September, I, uh, for serious reasons, I, I ended up having major uh, back surgery, and I've been going through various uh, hospitals and rehabs uh, since, but... Uh, doing great now and uh you know i can see the end of the tunnel and uh you know look forward to being back on the air soon now the reason for my call is uh not good news but i turn to you because i feel that you're the person i know who's best suited to give this news to a wider audience i think many people may already know where we're going with this but uh, I want John to say a few words about Andy, the owner of Moxie, who passed away this week. It is uh, just a gut punch. It's a terrible, uh, terrible news. Um, Andy uh, passed away uh, a couple days ago, um, and uh, the entire community is just uh, mourning because the entire community knew Andy. I first met him when I heard that this bakery was opening in uh, in Louisville and that they were going to do real serious sourdough bread. I went in there and said hi, and, you know, I was just, uh, just from, a, you know, what Andy meant to uh, bread baking in uh, Boulder and really across Colorado, he, he inspired people to uh, first off to to bake real bread from scratch, doing traditional sourdough, and then he said, "Well, you know, I'm going to mill my own flour because that's that's better." Uh, and so he he put in a mill, 
And then he said, well, you know, I really think we should be growing uh, ancient and heirloom uh, grains, you know, and using those in the bread. And so he helped to kind of transform the uh, consciousness of uh, artisan bread baking in the state. Um, on a personal level, I just uh, love the guy. We uh, shared a lot in terms of uh, musical taste. A lot of the musical community knows him because he would have folks playing at Moxie. And, uh, uh, you know, virtually any event that happened was there to uh, donate bread or let people use his kitchen. Always a smile. You know, he was generous. And uh, he actually, when you talk to him, it seemed, you know, he was actually listening uh, to you eager to support other local food businesses, and uh, very down-to-earth. It's really a, it's, it's a horrible loss to the community, uh, terribly sad for his family, his young sons. Um, and there is a GoFundMe if uh, you'd look, anyone would like to uh, support that, but uh, very sad, very sad. Word travels just because we aren't giving the news on the air doesn't mean that we aren't finding out about it from the community. Uh, I personally received multiple emails about this because people had, you know, knew that he had been on the air with us before. And one of the things that was mentioned repeatedly was what he did in the aftermath of the Marshall Fire. Would you like to remind listeners who maybe didn't know about his actions after one of the worst natural disasters to ever strike Boulder? I mean, he immediately set up to uh, feed people. They were uh, cranking meals out of there. Anybody could show up. Uh, Other food businesses like the uh, FED truck who we had on Radio Nibbles, joined him in that effort and farms. and uh, But he he spearheaded it, you know, and he was like that whenever whenever there was a need. That um, was just the way he was. We had Andy Clark on what is now called Kitchen Table Talk. It was the inaugural edition of Kitchen Table Talk before it had that name. And let's go to a song that he sang us then. Andy was on Radio Nibbles and uh, on Kitchen Table Talk and uh, honestly probably could have hosted a a food show all by himself because he he was just a a natural and passionate about these these subjects, including regenerative farming and uh, feeding people. And we bid a sad adieu to him. Said we all live on that same mountain, that same mountain so high. Said we all live on that same mountain, that same mountain so high. I'm calling. If you or someone you know is having a mental health crisis, deep depression, The Colorado Crisis Services Line is 844-493-8255. From my mountain to your mountain, 
that's all the time we have for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Shannon Young. Special thanks to Claire Purnell, Stacey Johnson, Jimmy Searfoss, Alexis Kenyon, and Rosanna Longobetter for their contributions to today's program. If you'd like to make a comment on something you heard on KGNU, you can leave us a voicemail at 303-447-9911. We play those messages back Tuesdays during the morning magazine. If you'd like to go back to our archives and hear uh, the inaugural edition of Kitchen Table Talk that featured um, an interview and music by Andy Clark of Moxie Bread Company, you can find that on our website, news.kgnu.org. Just search for Supersized Radio Nibbles, the farmer, the baker, the pita bread maker. So you can review um, just what Andy Clark meant to this community and how he was fertilizing the local ecosystem of regenerative agriculture. Stay tuned for Black Talk with Michelle Simpson. That's just after the news headlines from the BBC.